Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to a dreamy episode of the IGN UK podcast. I'm Matt Perslow, joined today by Jesse Gomez. Hello. And Simon Cardi. Oh no, just just when people thought they had a week off me, I, I sneak in, sneak in at the last second. You uh, did. You sound yeah. a bit dreamy, going back and forth. Oh, you thank you. I, I'm, I'm a, I, the amount of times I've been called a dreamboat, you wouldn't <laughs> believe. Um, yeah, it's about zero. Yeah, can't uh, on one finger. This yeah. is a dream for you, Cardi, because you get a week off from hosting. I am. It is. I didn't have to do any this. planning. Exactly. It's nice to just be able to offer some thoughts, uh, come in, cause some mayhem, and yeah, nice bit of fun. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, if anybody doesn't know, Gamescom is on the horizon. And whilst Gamescom is a wonderful thing, the planning stages of Gamescom is somewhat nightmarish. Yes, absolutely uh, not a dream at all. No, no. But obviously, as you can probably tell from the amount of dream-based talk, we are talking The Sandman. I thought we were talking about Inception. I've made all the wrong notes here (laughs) for this. (laughs) Well, that's why, Cody, you get to have like a slightly easy run for the first few minutes of the podcast because you have not watched Netflix's The Sandman. I haven't, but I have been told by almost everyone who's seen it that it is a delight. It it is. It is a an absolute. It's what is there a word for what are the best dreams called? Like, um, oh, well, uh, well, they're not dry ones. No. Uh, <laughs> Please stop. No, I still need to go here. Always have to anyway. bring it down, Cardi, don't you? Mm-hmm. This is uh, my role myself, this week. Myself and Jesse have watched uh, The Sandman. Um, Jesse, I think you've watched the entirety of the 10 episodes, right? I certainly have. And I have watched the first nine and still have the finale left to go. Ooh. But I believe that both of us are in, you know, don't General, say dreamland. Don't. Well, <laughs> whatever. Um, but we both agree that it is a, a, a fairly exceptional piece of television. Yes. Um, Jesse, give me your run of thoughts. How have you how have you found it? Um, well, I think, I think it's sort of important just to begin with that my introduction to the Sandman sort of universe or whatever um, was through the Audible audiobook adaptation and just like the show you know it's it's a beast of an audio drama act one much like the tv show is around 10 hours long um you know features an original score has james mcavoy as morpheus neil gaiman as the narrator which is always fantastic cat dennins as death and just so many other uh, fantastic actors and knowing nothing beforehand and then you know just diving into this world of you know the dream in the endless and being introduced to the story like i was hooked immediately onto what i was listening to i was really really just enjoy being introduced to that and not to this is going to be just a bit of a turn but not to not to bring the mood down entirely because i just i want to bring up this point um it was around january of um last year when the show came out and then within that same or rather the audiobook and within that same year um near july a family member of mine passed away and if you know anything about the sandman an important character to that story is death She's like one of the oldest, oldest members of the Endless, and she's an older sister to Dream. 
And Neil Gaiman positions death as sort of like one of the kindest and most like upbeat characters in that story. And around that time, I find myself listening to that chapter in the audiobook and how Neil writes about that process of loss. And at that moment, it really comforted me because I've never seen death portrayed in such a way and, you know, in such a, a almost caring and loving way. And at the time, I, I really needed that. So going forward to the show, there's an episode titled The Sound of Her Wings. And that is where that story is told in that episode between dream and death. And I, I sort of struggled to watch and I've never really had it. I've never really had this before, just watching any sort of TV show, to be honest, where I just, I really struggled to watch that because it sort of brought those memories back. But on the flip side of it, I recognize it as just sort of like, like a fantastic bit of comforting TV as well. And I think that's, it goes back just to the show itself. I've, I've never seen Tom Sturridge act in many things before, I think. And it's the same for the actor who played Death, but for that episode and for near enough, the entire first season of The Sandman, I just really, really enjoyed near enough everything I saw. Well, saying before, uh, Matt and I, that like the sort of first half of the show is probably the strongest. And then mm -hmm. the second act is just like a notch underneath that. But that's not saying that it's not good. Like it's, for me at least, I found the entirety of The Sandman to be just a sort of welcome breath of fresh air, I guess, for TV. Mm -hmm. So for anybody that has maybe listened so far and is a bit like, what the fuck is this show? <laughs> um, let's give you kind of a basic. It is based on... Uh, so, a Spider-Man villain. Yes. <laughs> See, that is, that, I must say kind of like, if you say that it is based on a comic, which it is, so yeah. um, this comic is a series that I first read about 11 to 12 years ago, mm. just mm -hmm. as it was going into its 20th anniversary. I think it's now the 30th anniversary of the comic's original run. Um and it's written by Neil Gaiman, someone who has written for Marvel before, but this is not Marvel's The Sandman, as in the man that is made of sand that beats stuff up and morphs <laughs> into different shapes. This is, the easiest way to say it is it's almost like Shakespearean comic writing. It's a very grand epic story that focuses on Dream of the Endless. The Endless are effectively the kind of next level up from gods i suppose they are beings that just have existed forever they mm. are and they are metaphysical concepts so of which dream is one death is another there are other ones that they all consider themselves siblings but this is very much the story of dream and the opening kind of arc to the sandman is the idea that dream has been captured by a human mm. about a hundred years ago and it's the story of him escaping his imprisonment and then the subsequent factor of returning back to what he calls the dreaming, which is his kingdom where he produces all the dreams and nightmares that everybody experiences. And whilst he's been away, obviously this kingdom has collapsed and a lot of his dreams and nightmares have run off out of the dreaming into the real world. And basically now he's got to clean up his mess. Um but there's kind of a lot of the idea of like exploring humanity through inhumane like mm. concepts like dream is not a human so therefore there is a lot of interesting things as he understands the benefit of being a more human style character yeah. so it's very kind of philosophical in many many ways mm -hmm. you know death ties into that but it's also a horror it's also a fantasy it's many things which I think draws us to that concept of kind of like there are two comic book arcs that this first season does. So the first kind of five episodes, five, maybe six episodes is the first book of Sandman, which is Preludes and Nocturnes, which is very much a series of 
like connected individual stories that link together to be kind of like okay this is what has happened while morpheus has been away you know when dream has been pulled Mm -hmm. away from the dreaming and this is him trying to get his job back together like he lost the tools that required that he required to do that job and that takes him to uh kind of like modern day london it takes him literally to the bowels of hell in an episode that has one of the best depictions of the underworld that i've ever seen Mm. um and you know kind of like it has the idea of that there's a there's a continuing kind of villain arc within those episodes of which david thewlis plays him and i think we all know that thewlis is an incredible actor and Mm -hmm. this is one of his standout performances i'd say that kind of this for me in his recent work ranks up there with uh, cardi have you seen the third season of fargo i haven't seen the third one i have not so he plays such an incredibly fucking slimy character in that third (laughs) season and there's elements of that character to this character that he plays in the sandman he's got a manipulative nature but it's kind of understated Mm -hmm. and that is fantastic but then you get to the end of that storyline which is that episode that Jesse was referring to, which has got death in it and has my favourite. It's less so the death stuff, but there's other stuff in that episode Mm. that draws on my very favourite Sandman story, which is very much uh, about the Sandman learning about humanity. Yes. But then the show completely changes gears um, to tell another story, which is the second arc of the comics, which is The Doll's House, which is very much more human-centric and kind of Morpheus dream he plays more of a secondary kind of character in there. So even in a show called The Sandman, The Sandman isn't always the main character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that's fascinating about the show is that it can be many things and sometimes those things aren't as good as the others, but I think that will very much depend on what you want out of a show. Like if you have more interest in the horror and fantasy stuff, the first half of the show is going to be very much your thing. If you've got more interest in i'd say more human concepts is the second half but mm. very much like it's got like a quite horrendous kind of setting for one of its episodes but it's yeah. played very goofy so it's got elements of comedy to it despite the fact like its main like topic of that is serial killers <laughs> Wait, all right, i'm in so like this has always been one of those things like i don't know a lot about sam and apart from basically what you've said here mm-hmm. i know the basic like thing of it like it's always been considered like one of those unfilmable things mm-hmm. you know what i mean like is that because like i've seen some of the steals and some of the traits like some of the imagery in this looks absolutely stunning like do you think it's because it's so difficult to bring that vision to life or because it's quite a hard concept for some people to crack like is it in the show is it quite approachable if you knew nothing about that did they introduce the concepts of it quite easily it's one of those that's difficult to say right because i am yeah. so familiar with it i i think they've done a good job yeah mm-hmm. um that, that, that's, that's the thing like i'm not sure how well this connects but you know like i said i started with that audio drama and everything is so you know descriptive and well acted in that i had such a vivid painting in my head of what i imagined this world to look like and i sort of avoided most of the trailers and then going into the show itself i didn't have any visuals to connect with really um even so like i've only recently started watching the comics and that was before uh, and that was after i started watching the show and like i was just amazed by how what i interpreted from that audiobook lined up to what the tv show is Mm. displaying on screen and now towards what the comic um i'm reading as well like it's it's crazy how this all sort of um 
despite there being three different versions of um, the Sandman for you to enjoy, you know, whether it's through the comics, the TV or the audio book, um, sure there are a few minor differences, but it all sort of lines up beautifully in a weird way. And that's mm-hmm. what I was really did, surprised about. Did they actually, because I know when, especially when it was first, like the first few issues of Sandman, like it was thoroughly like rooted in that DC universe. Or yeah. Like, did they actually, did they kind of ignore that in the like, show? It's, 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 oh no, I was just going to say, this is the one thing I noticed that surprised me because I only started reading the comics now is that um, one of the people who sort of um, gets uh, Morpheus's tools um, you end up finding out in the comics that it, it's, the, um, it's the Justice League. Like there's a little strip where it's like, uh, you see Batman and Robin and, and, and that sort of took me out of it for a second because in the, in the audiobook um, adaptation, obviously the TV show, you're not going to have those elements and stuff. So I was like, oh yeah, it sort of reminded me that this is so based the, in a DC the audiobook, property. The audiobook does have um, Arkham Asylum in it. Yeah, like, I do remember that. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember and seeing like, having that imagery of just Batman and Robin, I was just like, oh yeah, that's, that sort of took me out of it for a second. Yeah. Um, but no, to answer your question, Cardi, the the TV show is very much its own thing. I think over the 75 issues of Sandman, um, it very much eventually kind of ignores the fact that it started as a DC thing, presumably started as a DC thing, because how do you sell this comic? You know, this weird mm. kind of like grandiose, mythical kind of comic to, to kind of people largely that are reading stuff like Batman. And I think that kind of tied it in. By the end of the run, it really doesn't need it and it's become its own thing. And I think this TV show is the chance to start again and be like its own thing from the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, in the first story arc in the comics, if anybody's read that, you will know that John Constantine plays a reasonably major supporting role in it. Mm. Um, they still use a surprising amount of John Constantine. Like his backstory is literally in this version, but it is Joanna Constantine instead of John. It yeah. is um, a new version of that character that is still very much an occult kind of like demon hunting kind of character, but um, she's just not Hellblazer, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna go. Like everyone says, it's good, so it, it, it must. It must have something to it. Like, I'm gonna start this weekend. Yeah. I think of it. It's genuinely beautiful. It's genuinely stunning. It's got an incredible amount of heart. Um, I know that um, in regards to what we were talking about, the idea of it being it can literally be anything. We had some feedback in from Lewis Lee, who said he just finished watching Sandman. My God, it was awesome. However, I felt like episodes one to five were awesome. And then six to ten is a different show. Is that how the comics is or or supposed to be a different story arc? Anyway, it was bloody brilliant. Are you guys watching any other TV series at the moment? Um, mm. In regards to that, like yeah, literally, they are the two, the first two books of of the Sandman comics, and yeah. you should expect literally every half of each of these seasons going forward, if it gets renewed, to be a vastly different thing to the other. Like there are some of those future storylines that have been teased that if you felt like. I got to the end of the 10 and I was like, wait, what was that little five minute segment about? Mm. Like, they've definitely set up um, stuff to come that's in book three. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, but, and if you thought that that looked weird, like there's a <laughs> point where Morpheus doesn't quite look like Morpheus anymore. Yes. Um, that's a future storyline and they are very, very different. Just and that's like, kind of the beauty of it. Is there kind of like an overarching, like end, like big narrative arc and like end to Sandman or is it all like pockets of stories like that? It's mostly kind of pockets of stories, but the grand story, if you want to put of it, is... Morpheus's character arc, which is just mm-hmm, yeah. uh, someone that is incredibly aloof, is much better than everybody else, and is the king of the dreams. 
kind of gradually finding the importance of his own humanity, even though he's not a human. Um, and kind of like by the time you get to the end of those 75 issues, like I think all of that pays off. And each of those storylines being able to explore, I guess, kind of whatever Neil Gaiman was interested in at the time that he was writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the fact that they can be so different is like, it's one of those sort of things that is it's difficult to get bored of Sandman because you never quite know what it's going to be. And some of those things will hit for you. Like for me, because I am so much more into kind of like the horror fantasy, the first half of this season hits better. But I do still like the oddness of the second mm-hmm. half. Yeah. Did they play Enter Sandman by Metallica at any point? Uh, I, I've not watched the last episode, so Jesse, <laughs> unless it's in the last episode, it's going to be a no. I cannot remember. <laughs> you <laughs> don't, yeah. you, you'd remember if they played Enter Sandman. So, uh, <laughs> Prize, they played that uh, at Spurs at the weekend. When the teams will count now, so that adds, that adds an extra level to that. Um, so would you say, like, so is it fair to say... That Neil Gaiman is an author, a dream weaver, a visionary, <laughs> plus actor. I mean, is he, he the real life Garth Marenghi? Is what he's, I'm he's never written like a segment in the summer where it's just like blood, 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 blood <laughs> bits of sick. There's never anything that's quite that majestic. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I would say other than that, he's like maybe half a step under Garth Marenghi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but actually good at writing the, yeah. is the crucial is the crucial. He's got such there. a lovely voice as well. It's mm-hmm. You've met him, haven't you, Jesse? Oh yeah, when I was just behind that camera I was like, I love your voice, man. Well obviously I didn't <laughs> want to say it out loud. <laughs> oh, you should tell him. You, I, I listen to your voice all the time. <laughs> so nice. Cardi, are you sold? I uh, yeah, definitely yeah. I, it was already on my list to watch, mm-hmm. but getting around to it is the main problem at the moment. but uh, yeah I, I'm definitely going to watch it because yeah like I said everyone I know and everyone I know who has taste says it's good so <laughs> they can't all be wrong uh, <laughs> so but, yeah. a thing that is not on any of our lists because we've already been able to tick it off is the new Predator film yes Prey uh, directed by Dan Trachtenberg, yeah, mm-hmm. um, who is the director of Ten Cloverfield Lane. He yep. also directed the first episode of The Boys and a couple of other little projects around there. But he's yep. not got a huge portfolio. But okay. what he has done already so far has very much proven himself a whirlwind of a talent. Yes. But pray, is oh, it I've any got good? Oh yeah, Cardi, I've got because you've oh, seen. Should it. I go for my review? Oh, Please right. give us your. Oh, I almost your, knocked your over my microphone. I was so excited there. I. <laughs> really enjoyed it i thought it was just a really good tight like one hour 40 action film Mm. that kind of honored the original but also brought something new which i think is always crucial when you're trying to do these what are they requels reboot re Mm -hmm. reimaginings of uh not quite sequels in fact this is a prequel so like like you said it's directed by dan trachtenberg who did 10 cloverfield lane and i would say like he's yet again he did what he did with 10 Cloverfield Lane really which is like a well executed tight sequel in a series that takes like a different angle on what people love yeah. about that series like, completely stripped back like right yeah. down to the core of what it needs like, to he's be he's really good at that and like you said he hasn't made a film like a feature film since mm-hmm. that and that's what six six to eight years or so it's a while like Like, he did do the playtest episode of black mirror Mm -hmm. um so he's done bits and bobs like he made a portal fan film before he did any of that like he's big into his gaming like he's also made a a short film for warframe yeah like i would also say that prey definitely shows that he's big into games oh absolutely like he's already i mean you're probably about to say he's already said like god of war influenced the combat in that (laughs) film so much clear 
Yeah, and he was also attached to Direct Uncharted, but I think he, he let that one go, which probably was a good, good idea. I mean, he'd have made a better Uncharted film, better I think, film. but I think we would have been robbed of Prey, which would have been a mm. tragedy. Mm-hmm. Jesse, Absolutely. What are, you, how, what are your feelings on Prey? I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I watched uh, Predator... Um, just you know just rewatched it like maybe a couple months ago and i was like you know what? this is a good fun mm-hmm. just little horror action film and then i watched predator predator 2 and i was like i don't know what the Ooh, fuck they were God. doing yeah they're, then, then do i that. saw predators and i was like this is this keeps going downhill and i avoided really? the, I, I i just wasn't that big into you can't it. I, think that predators is worse than predator 2 surely <sighs> predator no, 2 is the nadir it, just, it felt like such a <laughs> it felt like such a 2000 and just 10 just horror thing for me and like all the characters uh. just felt like pricks and i just wasn't i wasn't into it and then i avoided the predator just because i've heard that one is shocking things. i think it's shocking yeah like, but in, in terms of prey i enjoyed just how just the film isn't fussy or precious about you know the numerous subplots it like mm-hmm. the premise is dead simple you have the main character naru who just wants to prove herself and by the end she does and you know like any you know like good protagonist she gets knocked down a little bit you know they fail but they learn from that and mm-hmm. it feels like it feels like the characters in the film are just normal smart people you don't have anyone who's like super you know meathead you don't have any like goofy characters like taking the piss out of anything it just seems it's very straight yeah it's very yeah. straight face this one like i really enjoyed the original predator it is kind of an it's a novelty film though it's an arnie like yes action film like i really enjoy i do ironically think it falls off a little when it's just arnie versus the predator like, i enjoy the first half of predator when yes. it's kind of more of like a war film yeah and it's, the just, predator it's just isn't, mental when they're shooting into the forest there, with miniguns like, and stuff but that's what i think like this one prey runs with that concept that 1v1 concept kind of for the whole thing like it's kind of it like really like i don't know like well we haven't really the the concept is that we follow this comanche woman who wants to be a hunter in 1719 Mm -hmm. and like like it's something obviously back in those days it's frowned upon for a young woman to want to be a warrior or a hunter and Mm. yeah like jess said she's out there to prove herself and basically something out there is preying on the things that they hunt and it's like what is this thing you know and it turns out you know what better way to prove yourself as a hunter than to take on <laughs> the predator um and as far as we know this is the first time a predator has been to earth they can keep building prequels and stuff as yeah, much as they want sure. but like if you don't know what the core concept of predator is it's basically this alien race who go to worlds to take on the world's greatest hunters basically mm. a sport and that's kind of, it's just such a good concept that is reusable but like this is the first like i i know you're down on predators i don't think it's that bad um but this one is the first one since the original that like at times this film is better than the original predator i know that's sacrilege i still have the it's, it's original not sacrilege this is a bad film there are different films though right it's they're like completely you, different you like, watch alien for one reason and you watch aliens for another reason i feel like it's exactly. in that sort of similar camp like pr- predator is still number one for me just but i think that's the novelty factor of what mm-hmm. that film is like yeah. if on a technical filmmaking level this film probably is a better film and a better told story that does more interesting things but that original has all the lines it has the handshake it has like it has the <laughs> moments you know it's a, a completely it's almost for the same series it's almost impossible to compare them in a mm-hmm. way yes but um yeah like we said it just 
I think the way, like that clash of like 1719, like hunting techniques and weaponry with that little real like future, like ultra sci-fi tech is just such a great concept to mm. like well, fall one upon. One of the things I really like about it is the fact that like the Predator is stripped back. Like it doesn't have as much mm-hmm. tech as yeah. it does. And it's like its helmet and its actual armor isn't the kind of like super soldier armor that the predator wears in the original 80s version it's a much more i'd say horror kind of influenced like mm-hmm. vibe that it's got yeah he's not um, going to be like shooting laser beams and all this other yeah. mad rock well, and he still has crap. some of it he still has yeah, his, yeah, uh, but it's home not like it's not as yeah. futuristic as mm-hmm. i mean what they had in 1987 yeah. i i love the the weapon which we won't talk too much about to maintain some mystery but it, his main weapon i think is super cool yeah but um i think some of the things that i love about this is a like how stripped back it's like you just don't need to know anything like that's yeah. not the point it's not a, a far too many kind of sci-fi and and even horror films these days like rely so much on lore and requiring mm-hmm. you to build up kind of this backstory around stuff it's just a fucking dude from outer space that's very good at killing. Yeah. Um, exceptional fight choreography and like the like the way that it frames stuff. There is a sequence with a bear that is like hands down has one of the best like single frames that I've seen in a film for a good mm-hmm. few years. Um, but it makes such phenomenal use of like Chekhov's gun. Like mm-hmm. it's a thing that I've no that I haven't noticed in a film for a while. It's just this idea of like it does lots of things where it shows you something being used in a practical application in its normal environment. And then you're like, huh, okay, that might be useful against a predator. Yes. And then you get the payoff at the end. Like all of those kind of items in almost a video gamey way are yep. used in the final boss fight. I feel like it's almost like a Metroidvania. So, I feel like we've <laughs> yeah. seen so many films where just over the past few years where something would be set up or there might be a little parallel show near the start and then it never pays off. And you have a lot of those moments in this film where like, oh, she overcame, she overcame that. That's cool. And then you see how that is reapplied later. Obviously, mm-hmm. we can't give too much no. away. I, I do like how it relies on the tension of the fight and the hunt mm-hmm. more than like big explosions. Like yeah. it is an action film, but there's not too many actual, you know, fight scenes. It's much more tense. It's almost more... You know, it's almost more like the Revenant. I know the setting yeah. is kind of mm-hmm. going to obviously lean into that, but like, it's obviously not not that I, sort of film. But I think like, almost as the title suggests, right? It's a survival film more than it is an yeah. action film. Yeah, exactly. Like the scenes, like there's a great use of people like slowly sinking into swampy bogs and stuff like that. Stuff's horrible. I'm I'm not into that. It just, um, but it brings back horrible memories of watching the Neverending Story. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and like we haven't really mentioned Amber Midfonder yet, who's mm-hmm. just fantastic like it's a real one of those like you re- you don't get as often these days just a real like breakout not quite out of nowhere she has been in some tv shows none mm-hmm. that i've personally really watched but like yeah it's just that moment of like wow she's good <laughs> all, you know most like near enough all the cast so it's not like there's not like everyone has you know tons of speaking roles and stuff but i think um her brother as well tabe i think um he's named in the film like he was equally as good i thought mm-hmm. um, dakota beavers mm, yeah but it's just <laughs> It's just nice to have a horror film where, like, right from the start, you know that the Predator has specific rules that he needs to follow. It's not just, you know, some killer roaming about killing everyone with, like, you know, just not thinking about it and stuff. Uh, I just, it was just a fun... Just it's just a film. really, like we said, a really... Like, it's not... I don't think it's a masterpiece by any means, but I think it sets out what it does 
to a very good like it achieves yeah. exactly what it wants to do like it's not doing anything spectacular it's not necessarily going to surprise you but like i have it as the second best predator film behind predator still like like we've said you can argue it's as good if not better like they're offering just, different things yeah like exactly um but like like yeah like we said about amber myth Thunder, like forget like the predator dropping into different times and places to hunt just drop different like sci-fi monsters into her world and let her fight them i'd watch <laughs> that yeah that's yeah. a new series we'll have like because it did remind me of a lot of it is kind of like alien in that like the actual yeah. way it was it's not on a ship it's in like the comanche nation it does have elements of that kind of like people it, she is the final girl basically in the same yeah. way that sigourney weaver is the final girl in that and they do that very very well i also um it's also shot in Comanche as well. I say shot in mm-hmm. Comanche. They dubbed it in Comanche, which is how I watched it to try and get oh, did something. You, you went for that full uh, yeah. one. Yeah, so, so it is dubbed over. What I will say is that if you're looking for the most authentic version, I wouldn't actually necessarily say. like I liked the vibe that watching it in Comanche mm. gave, but they said that what they'd done was they'd matched the mouth movements and so made sure that the two scripts mm, that's always kind of to matched do. up it, it it honestly doesn't it looks like it's been dubbed yeah. and that's, that's, kind of, that's what i understood is that I, I thought i thought they had shot it near enough twice i guess for some reason um but it's only it was it was only dubbed in comanche and i guess from a studio perspective understand why they had to shoot the film in english mm-hmm. but it just it would have like the optimal like version of this film for me would be that like not dubbed in Comanche shot mm-hmm. in Comanche um and had you know physical like proper like blood splatters and stuff like that because there's a lot of like CG blood and stuff I feel like it's, the CG sort uh, of oh yeah the, the CG but in scenes where like everything in that scene is CG so I can forgive it yeah yeah that. like that, that's the only thing that just mm-hmm. took the film just a little bit below it's just like if it had a higher budget and just mm-hmm. a bit of you know more practical <laughs> effects I would have loved it a lot more but what the film the film that we have here is still very good. It's a yeah. it's a solid eight out of ten. It's yes. just great. It's very it's very good. Does exactly what, yeah, exactly mm-hmm. what I wanted it to. And like I said, nice hour and a half hour forty. Like that's all those sort of films need to be. There's it's, a time and place for three hour films. Yeah, action films are not it. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is right is that Predator doesn't benefit from having all the lore and the nonsense sci fi stuff no. behind it. It yeah, makes you just sense. Don't to, you don't need to yeah. know about that. It's it's yeah. about watching someone survive the best apex predator in in the galaxy right like that's the thrill of it the thrill is not the backstory and i think he gets it absolutely right now obviously this is kind of almost like a bit of a dream scenario for dan trachtenberg to do like he Mm -hmm. this is the sort of thing he wanted he really wanted to have like you know a female protagonist kind of in this kind of like 300 year old kind of segment of of north america so i thought what a fun thing for us to do would be if you could throw the predator into anything what what kind of predator movie would you make i'd hmm. want to see jesse fight the predator one-on-one <laughs> in his flat <laughs> i don't think airsoft guns are gonna cut it man i'm gonna get clapped <laughs> yeah probably you know short film though isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's uh, a 20, 20 minute youtube film. flick yeah <laughs> Uh, I don't know who wants to go first. I imagine I have two ideas. One okay. of which um, I imagine people might already. I don't go know, on then. It might be overlap. Well, we've already talked about the God of War influence. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, let's just have Vikings versus the Predator. Basically, the Northmen, Northmen with yeah. the Predator in it. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good film to me. Yeah, yeah. I'd watch it. No, I mean yeah. 
for sure. I haven't, I haven't watched The Northman. Yeah, not to go off topic, but is it Ooh, worth a watch? Oh, yeah, it's, it's good. very good. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Get I, yourself immersed. I certainly shall. Um, I know, like, the real basic answer, the real, like, basic, basic answer anyone could come up with for this is, like... Versus just, Alien. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be, like, set it in, you know, during the Edo period of Japan, like, during the 1600s. People just want to see that. Because it's the, it's the same sort of deal where it's, like... We want an Assassin's Creed game set in Japan. It's that kind mm-hmm. of basic answer, but I would yeah, like... Yeah, you're just, a basic bitch, is what I'm saying. I know, that's what, that's what I'm establishing here. <laughs> yeah. But just, I think, just take it... I want to see, you know, like a small group of knights trying to go up against the Predator, like, stuck in a castle or something. Like, set it during the Crusades, like, mid-battle of something. I don't want to see armies going up against the mm-hmm. Predator, because that's not what's going to be interesting. But I just want to see a small group of, like, swordsman trying to go up against the predators and survive and trying to escape mm-hmm. a castle or something like <laughs> that's what i want to yeah. see <laughs> hmm? interesting i mean what have you what have you got matt uh so i've actually gone in a, in a fairly different direction like the i'd batman. lean in almost well, that, that already there is a comic batman versus predator there is, is yeah there uh-huh. <laughs> yeah so um stupid. but no my thought was to kind of lean more into the horror side of it and actually have him like in Victorian London. And it's kind of like almost mm-hmm. this idea of like, we've only just got rid of Jack the Ripper and there's a fucking another serial killer. Well, it turns out Jack the Ripper is Predator. Well, that, I mean, you know. But that wouldn't make much sense because yeah, I don't it, think those exactly. women Exactly, but I just kind of love the idea <laughs> of kind of like, you know, a, a city that's just overcome like this horrendous kind of like mm. chain of serial killers. And then someone wakes up to find like, uh, uh, like a body that's had its skull and spine ripped out of it. Mm. <laughs> and then you kind of build it into this very suspenseful horror, which, you know, you then get to have like a nice big sort of all flintlock guns blazing it's, sort it's of thing. It's a little bit like the, uh, the Order 1886. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so, but not boring. So that uh, during the French Revolution like where everything just looks gross. Nah, grim and dirty. Nah, bored of French Revolution. Uh, Russian ones where it's at and we all know it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... I'd like that. Maybe you, the instant you said uh, Victoria London, how about Blade versus Predator? Surely that exists already, right? I, I don't mean, know. Most things do. do you want my, to my other idea was, you know, Dan Trachtenberg, as you already said, he directed the pilot of The Boys. Mm-hmm. What about one of their in-universe films, like the, the Seven make, where it's like <laughs> the Seven versus Predator? Homelander versus Predator. It, it would have to be like a super Predator because Homelander mm-hmm. would just rip the Predator in two because he's basically Superman, isn't he? So Yeah. But, yeah, that, that could be interesting. Mm. I don't know. And there's lots of options. Like, I did think about, like, how, I don't know, like, could we just try Alien versus Predator again? Oh, do we let that die? See, I, I hate the concept of yeah. it. Like, I've never seen yeah. any, either of really? the AVPs. I, um, so, I haven't seen it for shit. a good... I haven't seen the first one for a good 10, 15 years. I remember the first time I saw it. I did. I liked it, but that was probably because I was a naive young boy. Um, yes, like, like the the predators and the aliens themselves are not the interesting things. I don't want to. I don't want to see the predator like every other minute. You know, like I, I don't need him in the forefront all the time. It's about the survival of the people and stuff. And I think that's obviously going back to prey. That's what you get. It's not like the predators fucking around in the background constantly and stuff. I mean, Alien is the much more. This is a different conversation. Alien is the much more consistent series. It has its duffers. Don't get me wrong, but like yeah. Alien is a masterpiece. Aliens is a masterpiece. I really like Prometheus. I think it's good. Um, I wouldn't Covenant, say I really like Covenant. it, but I like it more than I yeah. think most people do. Um, Covenant what I has would its say is that both series have like the massive problem where it, it's too obsessed with mythos and lore. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. 
Mythos and lore is for stuff like The Witcher and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Like that's where fantasy really excels. I just generally think a horror sci-fi kind of like benefits more from mm-hmm. being about concept and about you know thrill and and fear than it does like building Wayland Yutani and like their alien project into this massive kind of thing. <laughs> so um, that's why we don't need them to cross over and create even more weird ties. Yeah, yeah. I do like your Victoria London one though. It's almost like um, from hell, but with predators. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like that real oppressive vibe, and mm-hmm. like I just love the idea of just eventually like this poor Victorian like police officer having to go up against a predator. <laughs> that would be that, cool. That sounds good. Get David uh, Fewless for that. I could see him. David Fewless mm, versus Predator. Yeah, yeah. I nice. go for it. Anyway. If you've uh, if you've got any ideas for mm. uh, for Predator films, uh, why not let us know at IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Is that the right one, Cardi? I never have that to say it. it. You got it. You got it right. <laughs> there we go. But anyway, let's now move on to the endless search. Oh, I'm including that. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Shit. We got the games gonna play for you inside. I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you inside. I got a question for you. Is it in the search? Right, guys, we have had a new entry to the end of the search. <gasps> I'm excited. This one comes in from Rob the Toffee Mitchell. Oh, is he an Everton fan or is he a very chewy gentleman? We'll never know. <sighs> who knows? Who knows? Morning, IGN team. I've never written in before, even though I've listened to your good selves for years. I was driving into work this morning and had an idea for the endless search game, which doesn't need much preparation work, so I thought it might be of interest to yourselves. Very much. Low prep, very good. (laughs) I've called the game How Far Apart, and the premise is that for each round, the host will give the players an actor or actress, and they have to name two of their films with the biggest IMDb score gap as possible, with the number of points being awarded for the differences in scores. For example, actor Morgan Freeman. Film 1 is The Shawshank Redemption. Film 2, London Has Fallen. Shawshank (laughs) has a 9.3 rating. London Has Fallen has a 5.9. So Mm. therefore, your score is 3.1. So this highest. is going to be interesting because Jesse knows a load, like knows really I'm, bad films, say, and like, I know I'm fine and I know with good films. films. <laughs> <laughs> so the higher the score, the better. Each player would have the same actor and actress to guess on, and they would take it in turns each round uh, to have a go. So, uh, I think we've got the, the the basic premise, so we don't need to go on with. So the, are we this. both are we taking turns at doing different actors, or we're both doing the same ones? So, so how do we keep that hidden? So. What we're going to do is um, you are going to... I'm going to give you an actor. You're okay. both going to come up with your highest and lowest. Okay. And then we'll see who has got the best score and they win that round. Okay. So we're just going to trust that we're not going to change our answers when someone says something else, basically. I, w- I wouldn't uh, do that. Have you I would got... never betray you. I w- I, I, I'm not going to change my answers. Okay. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Agreement. There we go. There we go. <laughs> if, if I see anything that suggests shifty work, then we mm-hmm. will change the way that we we augment these rules because I think this could be a very good game that could last. It's a very okay. cool idea. Mm. Anyway, Jesse, I know that uh, you do not have the film history that Mr. Cardi has, so I have yes. chosen very obvious big got, names. Like, some sort of like handicap here, some sort of like <laughs> golf handicap here. <laughs> 
it's not a handicap. It's just I'm making sure that Jesse will know all the actors involved <laughs> so that we don't get one where just Fair the enough. answer is Fair default. Enough. Thank you so, very much, Matt. The first will be one of our honourable favourites. It's Mr. Christian Bale. Ooh. Okay. So I'll give you give you a few seconds. Yeah, let's have a think. How do we uh, make this interesting? He's been a lot of, a lot of films as Christian Bale. I, I don't know what his shit films are. That's He's quite good at choosing stuff, which uh, is the... See, in which case, like, if they've not been in shit films, you just have to, well, what's the shittest good film? Yeah, exactly. I've, I'm, I'm guessing it's Jesse's go first. Um, I've, I've got my films in... Locked in. Oh, well, if you, you're going first, so you can, you can put the pressure on. Say them. All right. Okay, Jesse, give me your highest ranked film for Christian Bale. The Dark Knight. And lowest. I think he's the star in this. I can't remember. Terminator Salvation. <laughs> that has to be right. shit. Okay. That's, that is so, a good one. We've got a nine for The Dark Knight. Okay. See, I was going to go Dark Does that mean I can't go Dark Knight now? Well, if you go for a lower shit film, you win, right? Terminator Salvation is a 6.5. Was Christian Bale in a film about, like, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic London, has dragons and stuff? Is, does well, that you're film giving exist? Me your, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be careful, because you're giving me an answer for that was going to be my choice. <laughs> okay, so, Jesse, uh, you have got the difference, because it was a, a 6.5. I got the difference. So nine minus six point five is uh, two point five. There we go. That's great maths. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is so. I know I have to bet a two point five yeah. on Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so, I feel like I've got an. What's your like highest? I'm, well, my high. So I can't. Um, to be clear, I can't say any of the well, same films. Well, you know, let's let's have a look at that's what why Rob I was, that, says. That's why I was going to say we either have to do separate mm-hmm. actors each time, or I had to say my answers at the same time as Jesse, so we didn't do the scoring. <laughs> this is great listening, working out the game as we play it. Right. I can say different films if you want. Let's let's just spice it up and go with different films. Should we do that? I have enough in my my Christian Bale. Right. Back okay. I, I've just I'm, I'm reading Rob. I should have just read your whole thing through, shouldn't I? You take it in turns to guess your highest and then your lowest. So oh. so for example, kind of like so for example, if Joe and Dale were playing, Joe would guess at the high scoring film and then Dale goes and Dale will guess at the low scoring okay so anyway well for this one we'll just yeah. do it um, I'm going to go my high one I've got to go the prestige the prestige <laughs> I would I, I was going to go Dark Knight but you took it from me yeah, I know the Dark Knight is higher be higher rank so uh, my highest one the prestige is an 8.5 that's what high enough for me and I will I am going to take the film that Jesse uh, gave a clue for which was I Hand on Heart going to be my choice anyway. Right, Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire. Is, is, that, is that genuinely like a shite film or is it like a fun one? I, I really liked it when I was a yeah. kid. So. I, I don't know what the IMDb rating is, but it's one of the less good Bale films. I was even thinking of going for Love and Thunder, but I imagine the IMDb rating is still okay for that. Mm. Might want to watch that film when I go into Germany. <laughs> so, uh, 8.5 for The Prestige, 6.2 for Reign of Fire, oh, that's 2.3. 2. There we go. Cardi, you lose out. It is a Jesse round there. A Jesse round, the worst kind. Right. So, 
Cardi, it's your turn to guess first. Cool. So, so how are we doing it? I'm so, just going to say my top film. So you give me your top film. Okay, cool. Okay. Sweet. This makes sense. I hope all of you guys are yeah. enjoying listening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great listening, but you know, we'll have a great game made by the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> what what act are we doing now? We are doing Kate Blanchett. Oh she's got a lot of good films. Which one's gonna be highest? Hmm. Um, God, it's hard to know, isn't it? <laughs> I, I've got so many. What's there must be one standout one. Do you know what? Uh, <laughs> because I'm, I'm a bit weird. It's by far not a best film. It's still a very good film. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with Thor Ragnarok. So I think that still will have a good IMDb rating. I've got the perfect setup for this. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a that's a seven point nine. Mm-hmm. I thought I, I was hoping it'd be in the eights. I'm not going to lie. What's what's your top one, Jesse? Jesse, no, one. So, so so the according to Rob's thing, so now for Jesse has to go for the low scoring one. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm going to go for <laughs> uh, the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies. It's. <laughs> I knew you'd go for a bloody Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that is. I tell you what, Jesse. I don't think you've you've had the the oh, wonder pot no. that you expect. It's a seven point four. People, fools. <laughs> so, Cardi, what's your low? I oh. think she's in one of the most disappointing films of all time. When you look at cast, I believe she's in The Monuments Men. Is she now? Let's have a look. I'm really not familiar with any of her films, to be honest. Oh, you should you should get familiar. I think she is. I've not seen the Monuments Men, but I do remember the the trailer. I'm pretty sure she's in it. She is. She is. That was a six point one. What? That was at that high. <laughs> so that's a one point eight. You've scored there, Cardi. Oh, you've got to beat this. Jessie. The thing is, Kate Blanchett. She's she's high quality. She doesn't pick duffers. <laughs> that's probably that's her worst film. That's still a six point one. That should be in the fours. Mm. What's your what's your high, Jesse, for Kate Blanchett? All right, I'm just gonna say I was gonna go. This might be a poor decision. Mm-hmm. I was gonna go for the Fellowship of the Ring, but gonna, I'm going to go for it instead because this might feel. Like, oh no, fuck! See, I completely blanked on all of the rings, <laughs> <laughs> which is. <laughs> Let's just go for let's just go for Fellowship of the Ring. I was going to say Curious Case of Benjamin Button, but Fellowship of the Ring has to have a higher rating than it Benjamin Button. It absolutely will. You just, you just never stupid. know, man. Yeah, Lord of the Rings will be higher than Benjamin <laughs> Button. Benjamin Button is 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 a decent film. I just remember people okay. loving that film. I don't think they did. I liked Benjamin Button. I like it, but mm-hmm. it wasn't reviewed that well. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, Jesse. Fellowship of the Ring, an 8.8. Okay. The Hobbit, 7.4. That means that you've got a 1.4, which means Cardi yeah. I can't takes believe it scraped with his 1.8. So I don't really I know many of her films, the though, that's well. the thing. Well, she doesn't really have that many bad films. She's just, <laughs> again, right. very good. Jesse, yeah. you can come in on a high, higher scoring first. You need the highest score that you can think of for Mr. Hugh Jackman. Um... Oh. Can we repeat films from previous people? <laughs> <laughs> what 
I don't think that's a problem, right? Each round restarts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to think of the main one that... Oh, Logan. That's it. That's what it's called. Yeah, I was trying to remember whether it's called, like, just the Wolverine or Logan. <laughs> Logan. You can pick the Wolverine if you want. No, no. <laughs> it's an 8.1. Cardi, what's your low? My low? Uh, For huge uh, action. Which <laughs> one? Yeah, I'm going with X-Men Origins Wolverine. X-Men Origins even, Wolverine. Probably isn't even that bad. Which he fucking... Does, he does have some stinkers, though. Yeah, somehow has a 6.5. Uh, I now need... Do I now need no, my high? Je- Jesse, give me your low. Movie oh, okay. 43. Oh, he is in that one, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, let's have a look. That has to be a win. So you've got an 8.1 from Logan. Movie 43 is a 4.3. Is he definitely in this? <laughs> I swear there's a stupid gag with like everyone's like, in it, isn't there? He is. Hugh Jackman is in movie 43. That Jesse <laughs> has a 4.3. It's impossible. Giving you a 3.8. <laughs> I think it's impossible for me to win, isn't it? Surely there's something super she's been what, what was Wolverine? I need a 9 point something so, here. So you've got a 6.5. So yeah. Yeah, it is impossible. Surely. I'm just going to go with my heart and say Prisoners, which is probably disappointingly like a 7.5 or something. Prisoners is an 8.1. You never heard yeah. of Prisoners? No. Get on it's it. A, a Denis Villeneuve one. Be, but isn't that your lowest? Didn't you say that? No, <laughs> no that's, that's my highest. highest. Oh, my bad. Right. The pri- Prisoners or just the Prisoners? Just Prisoners. prisoners. Yeah. Okay. So that's a 1.6 for you, Cardi, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, it's fine. Movie 43 is kind of the trump card for all these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. the thing. You need to remember who else is in that film just to keep using it. <laughs> yeah, you can't use it again now. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> it's my round. Natalie Portman. Oh, mm. man. <laughs> oh, I only know the obvious stuff. <laughs> is it, so, is it, I have to do a high one first. Yes, Cardi. Heat. She in Heat? The, the Michael Mann. She is Al Pacino's daughter, stepdaughter in Heat. How old she would she have indeed. been in that? Been like 14, Lauren 15. Lauren Gustafsson. You're not beating that. That's an 8.3 on the IMD scale. How is... How, sorry, I... How is that not a Because it's, like, cause it's voted by, by morons. I suppose, yeah. We, we've already done... In our other game, we know people mm-hmm. just give stuff one star for no reason. So, there we go. Uh, I need to read that Heat 2 book, by the way. Jesse, what's your lowest rank for Natalie Portman? Probably like Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones is a 6.6. Okay. Cardi, bring us low. (laughs) Bring us low. (laughs) Um, Well, I'll go Revenge of the Sith. Surely people like Revenge of the Sith more than Attack of the Clones. Yeah, but I'm banking on you not having a film as good as Heat in your back pocket. <laughs> I've got one Which film. Very few people do. Attack of the Clones, sorry, Revenge of the Sith, sorry, is a 7.6 on IMDb, which means that you've got a 0.7 score. There, oh, How is the there a 0.7 difference between Heat and Revenge of the Sith? <laughs> what great. world are we living in? <laughs> uh, Jesse, what are you going to give me as your high score? Leon. Leon, Leon, also known as The Professional. 
arguably her two best films made when she was a teenager. From Luke not many actors have that. Uh, yes, this is an eight point five. So that Mr. Gomez scores you dun, dun, dun. one point nine. I I can't believe that Leon well is done. being heat. Well done, Jesse. I was going to go We're with Zoolander. In a world where Leon, Leon is being heat. Let's move on. So Jesse, you are three points. Takadi's one. It's the it's the low end I'm struggling <laughs> on there, and just people's general opinion of heat. Yeah, you're struggling on that. I'm struggling on basic arithmetic. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. everybody, for the and amount the general of just tapping. heat in this room. I'm building yeah. up here. Yeah, it's not great, is it's, it? It's, it's warm. Thank God I'm not days. doing the math. Right. Is this the last one? So I can Je- save some face. Yeah, Jess is already won, but card is safe face. We are going Vin Diesel. <laughs> God's sake. What good has he done? That sounded really bad. Cardi, give me a low. High. Am I yeah, low? I think. Uh, is it? Did you give low the first time? Last I think time? it's high. Okay, go high then. Um, I will go with Avengers: Infinity War. Infinity War. That is an eight point four on IMDb. Jesse, what's your lowest low. for Vin Diesel? Is it called Bloodshot? It's is that, blood is that what it's shot. called? I think it is. Bloodshot with Vin Diesel is a five point seven. Oh, that's not low enough. Cardi, what's uh, your low? I haven't been given much time here. Which is the... Tri- uh, is it Triple X Return of Xander Cage? <laughs> Has he always been in the Triple X series? I, I've never watched them, I believe. Yeah, so. I haven't either. Uh, so. I've only watched the first one when I was a, like, what was it? 12 maybe um, I remember it being terrible. He is in Triple X Return of Xander Cage because I think they did do one without... Yeah, Vin was Diesel that the most recent they? one? I don't know. That is a 5.2, Ooh, which means it. that you get a 3.2 as your score, I'll take that. which, is score. Your, which is your best one so far. Jesse, you took Bloodshot, 5.7 as your low. What's your highest Vin Diesel score? Saving Private Ryan. Ooh. That's a good one. That's a Ooh, good one. Very good. Of course, Vin Diesel plays... Uh, Capazzo in that I'm just, sniper, the sniper team yeah, sniper yeah, is he? Yeah. No, no, oh, no. Oh wait, no, he's the. No, no, he's, he's he just gets killed by. A... Oh, spoiler, same part. It's right. fucking old ass film, isn't it? Older than me. No, it's nineteen ninety nine. Oh, okay. Right. No, yeah, no, ninety eight is Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Is uh, an eight point six. Should be higher. <laughs> I wonder if uh, the Iron Giant is higher. Probably not. That would be silly. Mm. So, Jesse, you've got a 2.9 there. So, you do lose that round, but okay. you win that was overall. A that was a good effort. There we go. Good game. I think once we uh, once we, we get it, wrinkle out the kinks of <laughs> me not reading stuff properly, we'll <laughs> exactly. be good. We'll, we'll get there. I'm, I might think we might, yeah. Well, we can think about how we do it differently. Yeah, I think if you just get me talking about shit films, I think mm-hmm. I usually have a fighting chance, really. Yeah. I, how How is heat not higher? I don't know. <laughs> Let us move on to feedback. Get get some more stuff from the goodness of our audience. We've got a couple on uh, Cardi the uh, the music episode. It that resonated. You set up. It did it, it, all the way through. So we've got two pieces of feedback about music. 
Jesse, if you want to start. Of course, this is from CJ in Nebraska. He says, hello all. I hope everyone there is doing well. I really enjoyed the last episode in which you built your own video game soundtracks. Made me think about what my favorite video game songs are. Uh, basically, the entirety of, is it Ease? Ease I think one it's and two. pronounced Ease, those games. Why well, yes? Those two games on the Turbo Graphics, which in turn made me consider the fact that I find video game music far more evocative than movie music. By that I mean the flood of emotion that overcomes me when I hear some of my favorite video game songs is far greater than when I hear movie scores. For example, hearing Aerith's theme always almost fills me, almost always fills me with far stronger emotions than, say, the binary sunset theme from Star Wars. Even though I love Star Wars and I have very fond memories of watching it well before I played Final Fantasy VII. So I do not, um, so I do not think it is a matter of nostalgia, as I am probably more nostalgic for Star Wars than Final Fantasy VII. I'm wondering if it's because uh, great video games immerse you in them, which leads to a greater emotional investment overall than a movie does, which in turn makes the music a truly great, <laughs> wait, which in turn makes the music of a truly great game stick with you longer and conjure more emotions with, within you. Or maybe it's just simply you hear the, you hear most video game songs more often than not, uh, and longer than most movie songs. Sorry, I cannot read today. The heat is getting to me. Um, because you're spending so much more time playing the game than watching the movie. Or maybe I'm alone in thinking this way, and most people would say that movie songs are more emotionally evocative. What do you all think? Keep up the great work, and please respect the C. I will say I agree with CJ, to be fair. I think there's a lot more video game soundtracks that, like, muster emotions within me than movie i feel like red dead 2 yeah. comes to mind i'm the complete i'm the complete opposite i think movie soundtracks stick in my head a lot more um like stuff you hear a lot like battle themes from games do stick in my head a lot and like mm. end credit songs but like films i feel like they're i don't know i think maybe because in games if you're doing act if you're like you got your mind really set on like doing something like say it's some intense action you're kind of almost the music can kind of go to the back of your head and you're not kind of listening fully whereas a film like especially in a cinema like it's just got undivided attention it just kind of mm. like moments just like key moments in films like just tied to pieces of music for me whereas like in games like it like curated cutscenes the music can trigger stuff like you said in Red yeah. Dead but like also it can just be attached to general imagery from that game yeah, I don't know for sure like maybe it's just because I've I don't know. I just love films so much. I don't know. Like, like films, I could. I let's say we did a music film quiz. I'd be much better at it than a game music quiz. For Do you example. find yourself listening to more like film soundtracks, just like on Spotify or whatever, than like video game stuff? I absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Especially because I think you do get much more, especially because they're much more relaxing. Like game music is rare. Like there are relaxing ones, but they're mainly quite up tempo and quite in mm. your face to like build the excitement whereas film ones they can kind of i feel like there's a greater range of emotions we're getting there with games like games are getting more cinematic but yeah i feel for like sure. yeah film soundtracks for me still have have resonate more yeah my odd opinion on this is i think that video game soundtracks like on the whole have got worse the more they've tried to emulate film soundtracks so mm -hmm. All of my favorite, like not all of it, but like a huge amount of my favorite game soundtracks are from kind of like earlier periods of games. Like I love the Monkey Island soundtrack, like pretty much the PlayStation library of Final Fantasy music has a very, very special place in my heart. And I think that era where things are kind of rooted in more like MIDI and very much like distinct character themes in mm. an era when 
a lot of music tracks had to be separate and they couldn't bleed into each other. Or when they did, they were kind of like the iMuse system from Monkey Island 2, which is very much about layering different themes and stuff like that. The moment we tried to go completely orchestral, I often hear this sentiment from video game uh, composers that I've seen several times in interviews where they're like, we don't even want you to know, like, know the music's there. It should kind of blend in and it should be kind of like, you know, in the back. So what you're concentrating on is the game and the story rather than, you know, the hearing of the music is just almost like ambience. That's not what I actually look for in a good video game soundtrack. I want like a theme that like has me pumped that I can hum along to that like really sets that thing like lord of the rings does not have a lot of music in that movie that is just the background it sets so much emotion and tone yes. um where they think like the avengers and, and the mcu in general is pretty good at just having very forgettable music that just drops into the background that is just there because it would be weird to have like just no sound mm-hmm. and i think when games were much more about very distinct themes and stuff like that rather than just ambient orchestral kind of elements that is kind of like where they shine so i think kind of like japanese kind of orchestral like approach to games tends to still very much follow that lots of very Mm. distinct character themes very punchy kind of moments whereas kind of like a lot of kind of more western style things can very much just feel ambience and that is not where i get my emotional value from (laughs) there we go good stuff is it me next? It, it is, is Cardi. Next. You've got another one about music as well. Ooh, I love it. Uh, this <laughs> one is from Nicole Garber, who says, Hello there, Nicole from Maryland here, wishing you all well. I had to write in after listening to your Build an OST workshop episode to share that listening to quite a few of those cl- clips gave me video game music memory goosebumps. It's not just the songs themselves, which are great, but the memories attached to them that really made me nostalgic. I decided to dig through my memory banks and make a playlist of my own. Some surprisingly strong recollections were from Devil May Cry 3, Warrior Warrior Within, and Final Fantasy XI. Sitting in a town waiting for a party in an MMO or failing a particular section of a game over and over will do that, I suppose. I was wondering if you could share a memory strongly associated with a certain tune from a video game or a song listeners may be surprised has stuck with you for a long time. Thank you for all that you do, of the podcast you're very welcome nicole i have one that's kind of second hand and uh joe's not here to uh to uh share this with me but about what it would have been four almost five years ago now joe when we were back in the office um joe was at the un unenviable task of reviewing Cuphead uh, <laughs> and I was sat next to so I used to sit next to him in the office for well, a good week solid just playing that game and it was one of the levels where he was just bless him stuck for hours and hours he got there in the end um, but like it's just that one Cuphead tune of did it did it did it did it hours on end and you could see every time Every time he heard it, it was just his soul slowly going away. And it didn't help that every now and then I'd give a little chuckle, um, which probably didn't help all. So I'm formally apologising for that now, Joe. But uh, yeah, that one always sticks with me, despite me never finishing Cuphead myself. That that piece of music sticks with me. Um, Don't know if you guys have any. Uh, Yeah, I've got one um, that's sort of fucking burned into my memory, and that's the battle with Sans in Undertale, if you do the genocide run uh it's like it's a fantastic bit of music bit of video game music toby fox is brilliant but that is like 
it's the toughest fight in the game and it just took me so long to get through and it was just constantly playing over and over again. It was just, honestly, just listen to the tune. It's called Megalovania. Um, it's very good, but if you end up playing the game itself and you get to that fight, see if you can do it in one go, because you probably <laughs> can't. Mm. Uh, I think probably loads of people that are watching this will have like just the Final Fantasy VII boss battle music is so evocative, but it always like links to a particular boss that you got stuck on, which yeah. for me is the lost number who's in, in the safe in the Shimmer Mansion. And it's kind of like the gatekeeper to get in Vincent. And uh, at the time, the first time I played it through, that was definitely a very difficult boss battle for me. Um, it's, I think you can probably barely breeze through it when you're an adult and understand what, <laughs> what battle systems are. But as a kid, I remember being stuck on him for a while. So that is kind of burnt in. Um, so it's I know a very that, colourful boss. I mean, more recently, yeah. that Melania music from Elden Ring, like, it's beautiful. Don't like They know how to do music in those games, but my God, have I heard that too much. <laughs> uh... Yeah, see, I don't want to say what the Elden Ring boss battle music is that gets me because it's it's far too late in the game for anybody that's not managed to get through a 150-hour <laughs> RPG. Um, <laughs> but that's one that I'll remember forever. Um, but the other thing is, I know that uh, Joe is a big fan of the opening music from Final Fantasy X, which is kind of like a real heavy kind of rock tune by... Oh, I can't yeah. even remember what the band is. But the one that I've got more affection for is the... Um, the sequel to 10, which is Final Fantasy 10 2, ha opens on a J-pop concert <laughs> in which there is a bit of J-pop. I'm fairly sure it's called Real Emotion. And that was an absolute earworm for me when I was at high school. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So nice. I'll move on. We've now got another one. This is from M. James. This is not about, uh, about music. This is about Marvel. She says, Ooh. hi, all. The recent ranking of newly announced Marvel projects got me thinking about exactly how excited I am for upcoming projects, and the answer is pretty excited. One announcement that particularly got my attention was Thunderbolts. I'm aware there have been many iterations of the Thunderbolts team, although I have only read one series of Thunderbolts comics in which the team was led by Red Hulk and featured Deadpool, Elektra, The Punisher, Agent Venom and The Red Leader. Enough of this team has already been perfectly cast to make me believe that it could be that it would make for a great movie. Although the recent we've recently introduced characters to the MCU, I accept that it will not happen. I have also read a series of Deadpool vs. Carnage comics, and I believe that this would make for a really fun one-off movie with Ryan Reynolds and Woody Harrelson playing it for laughs. And a video on the Deadpool React YouTube channel, which I had no idea existed. Uh, in which Deadpool and Korg react to a movie trailer for Free Guy has made me yearn for a Deadpool-Korg team-up movie, which I honestly believe would be hilarious. Again, however, I remain totally convinced that both of these ideas are complete pipe dreams and will never <laughs> see the light of day. With that in mind, I wanted to ask the team, are there any fantasy MCU projects that you would like to see happen, in spite of the fact that they never clearly, they clearly never will? Take it easy, respect the sea, etc., etc. Blade versus Predator. <laughs> um, oh, I feel like we're getting everything anyone could ever dream mm -hmm. of at the moment. So it's hard to think of ones that haven't. Yeah, been. Uh, at one point, like I, I have a huge fondness for Avengers Forever, which is the story where like Kang pulls lots of different Avengers from different time periods and slams them all together and makes them work together. Um, but like that is almost certainly going to be referenced at some point in these two big kind of finale Avengers films that yeah. they're doing. Maybe, like, I know some people like it, but 
I'd like an actually well done Days of Future Past. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, would be that good. Would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but we're getting the X Men. You know, I don't know what their plan is for the X Men. I say we're getting them. I assume we're getting them. Um, same like because yeah, all the X Men stuff, even like the Dark Phoenix stuff, they absolutely got so horribly wrong. Like but the thing is, they've done Dev- <laughs> they've done Dark Phoenix twice now, and. Yeah arguably butchered it more the second time even after the first one there was barely anything of it left yeah um, um i know it's a recent memory one but i do wish that we could uh rewind time get rid of love and thunder and actually have a good gore the god butcher film that's like what the comic is because that is an absolutely epic kind of mythical telling of that mm-hmm. story are you still yearning for channing tatum's gambit no, I, I actually I'm not I'm not a big X Men kind of person, which is why that I don't like. I think Days of Future Past is prime for an actually good kind of film where there's mm-hmm. proper character development. Um, but I don't mind like I actually the fun of X Men on screen for me is that because I've got so little attachment to X Men comics, um, it doesn't matter to me kind of what they do with it. Like it's not going to have them cock up. However, there is oh. There's a really, there is an X Men comic run, and I can't believe I can't remember what it's called, but it's genuinely phenomenal. You, Jesse, come up with something, and I will try and find <laughs> out. Oh, Say something, Jesse, while he thinks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Honestly, it's it's like what you said, Cardi. There's there, uh, the MCU has already given you so much stuff that at this point, there's nothing that I'm just sort of accepting whatever they're throwing at us. Because at this point, everything I've wanted to see when it just comes to Spider Man, because that's who I love. I've already I've already received so anything that's new and exciting I'll accept I don't really have you know the particular dream pairing like just bring Ghost Rider back has he has he appeared in anything again or has he just been dead for ages he's not been ever since Nicolas Cage he's not really been anything has he just bring, See, bring the Nicolas recent Cage things back. Uh, right well Ryan Gosling said he'd like to play Ghost Rider which you know <laughs> he's someone who hasn't been in the MCU yet so why not get him in yeah, um, why not? that's the thing there's not many projects where I'm just like oh I wish that would happen because yeah I don't know yeah I mean mm. we're getting Secret Wars we're getting Secret Invasion we're, we're getting a lot of the bigger ones I'm sure there's some deeper cuts like, like you know I'm not the biggest comic book reader in the world so yeah. I'm sure there's lots of like what have you found it matt yeah messiah complex is is the one that i really liked which is it follows on from house of m so it's almost like because we've sort of kind of touched on that with where wanda's storyline went like maybe they could do messiah complex but it is also quite a complicated like three-part storyline arc like not three issues as in like three books that link together right um, I, would, I think it might be a bit much, but, but the MCU is reasonably good at like taking big concepts and stripping them down to work as films. I would love to see Galactus eventually. I assume maybe after the Secret Wars stuff, after uh, Kang and after all of that, maybe that's where they'll go with that because they are linked to the Fantastic Four. And, mm-hmm. like, maybe that that's cool. the next big bad after Kang and all of that is Galactus at some point. I but it's like, after it's that, scary. where do you go? Is that the end of the end? Is that the mm-hmm. end of it? Well, I, I assume you'd want Galactus to not be a giant cloud. You'd want him to be a massive oh, an walking actual, cyborg Someone who thing. eats planets, yes. Yeah. But in, be our, what, in our cast episode, who'd I say? I want either Joe Pesci or Javier Bardem. <laughs> either or. <laughs> Fair enough. There we go. But yeah, I'm more looking for the near future. I just want I want Doom as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. If he does turn up in Wakanda forever, as there's been rumours, I you never know. I doubt it, but I'm hopeful. Um yeah. Can't wait for that. I want Doom. Cool. Nice. Well, 
send us stuff about music, about dream Predator films, about dream MCU projects to to us in our feedback box, which is uh, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. But for now, that is everything. We need some music. Oh, what's the is the Sandman got a good theme? It, it doesn't have a theme. It's not got an opening credits. Oh, um, so I guess I, I tell you what, Prey does have good music. We can play a little bit from the score of Prey. Get some of that in there. Why not? Right. See ya. <laughs> Lovely. Goodbye. Natural finish. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.